Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. We're going to start the show today with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who has been calling for President Donald Trump to be impeached since the very beginning of her term in Congress. Now the House is moving to impeach Trump for a second time, this time to hold him accountable for inciting the violent coup attempt we saw in Washington last week. Tlaib is also here, though, to talk about her work to combat housing insecurity here in Detroit. Tlaib, Dr. Cornell West, and Reverend Dr. William Barber are going to hold a Black Homes Matter event tomorrow that's going to be live streamed on YouTube. We'd also like to welcome one of the people helping to organize that event, author, activist, and Chicago Kent College of Law professor Bernadette Atuayane. Rashida Tlaib, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yes. And Bernadette, it's what, glad it's good to have you back with us as well. It's good to be back, Steve. Yeah. So, uh, Congresswoman, before we talk about this event, this uh, this Holmes event in Detroit, I, I just want to get your thoughts on the white supremacist mob that stormed the Capitol last week and the new discussion about impeaching this president again. Yeah, I think it's very important for um, much of the public to know that we continue to get briefed um, and continue to get intelligence and information that demonstrate that this current president, this forever impeached president, um, uh, poses an imminent risk uh, to our country. Uh, I can tell you that um, much of what we might have um, saw was just the beginning of a continuation of attack in our democracy uh, and really an attack to try to overthrow our government. And so it is so critically important that we hold them accountable. And as you can see today, we are uh, been asked to, to come back to Washington, D.C. immediately. Uh, we, we were warned that this would happen, uh, that the Republicans are um, denying us to do unanimous consent of, you know, trying to push for the 25th Amendment uh, to be invoked. Uh, we are also um, uh, proceeding with the impeachment resolution, uh, but we also thirdly are looking at the 14th Amendment and trying to hold some of our colleagues, much <laughs> one of which live tweeted the whereabouts of Speaker Pelosi, mm. uh, and some of which actually spoke at the rallies and continue to actually uh, support and defend what happened um, that day. I mean, uh, you should know, Stephen, not only was a Confederate flag flown throughout um, the Capitol and, and, you know, various property destroyed, but, you know, they, they, they left human feces throughout the hallway. Uh, they attacked law enforcement. I mean, there was just endless uh, amount of violence um, that, again, you know, we need to hold those that enabled it accountable. Yeah, we, we continued to, to learn each day, it seems, about more that happened and about more people who were involved in what happened. Uh, I want to get you to talk just a little broader, though, about where this leaves us. Uh, You and I have had conversations for a long time about the deep divisions in this country, uh, the the, the legacy of historical racism, the reality of current systemic racism and inequality. I, I don't know, though, that we've ever felt or seen anything quite this stark uh, about how 
how urgent these problems are, but also how widely they infect uh, our institutions. I mean, just hours after this happened, you had two-thirds of the Republican House caucus vote to disenfranchise uh, the majority, essentially, of African-American voters uh, in, in the November election. Do you have any hope that this is solvable, that this country is governable, uh, and that the Republican the republic can hold. I mean, that's a that's a big question. But where where are we? I mean, I think it's really important to understand that this is because we haven't really truly dealt with white supremacy in our country and anti blackness in our country. We dismiss it. We forgive it. Uh, even among our colleagues that continue to promote policies that exclude cities like Detroit from access to home ownership or uh, continue to see, you know, the push for photo ID requirements in cities that look like ours. Uh, I think it's really important that we've enabled this, and it's time that we have a reckoning. Uh, we love our country, even with, its, with her imperfections, um, but we have to love every single uh, um, uh, part that, that is beautiful. But we can't do that if we're not unifying around trying to make it better. You know, it is hard to try to talk about even healing without accountability. It's hard to talk about unifying when, when many colleagues still want to overthrow our country, they'll overthrow this election um, that would deny millions, millions of people that look like myself and others uh, from, from uh, their vote, vote being counted. I, I think it's important uh, that we uh, very uh, thoughtfully uh, bring light uh, to the fact that we, we've ignored uh, much of this uh, disease, uh, much of this uh, continuation of, you know, racist uh, policies. I mean, you can even see it in some of the white supremacists that have been arrested saying, why are you treating me like a black person? Mm. Uh, mm. You see it in, in the airport saying, why are you treating me like a terrorist? I'm not a terrorist. Uh, and it's like, no, you are. Uh, you know, your, your whiteness uh, uh, over, your de- over our democracy, that's not, that's not how it works. Uh, and so I, I think it's really important uh, and it's hard. This is a hard conversation. This is a hard, uh, you know, one that you, yeah, we have to roll up our sleeves and, and truly, and it may cause some tears and some heartache for some folks. But guess what? We did wrong. And it's now we are paying the price of uh, enabling this kind of gun white supremacy that has, uh, you know, really taken over. Uh, not only politics and other places, even some of my colleagues, not, not to try to forgive them, one of them particularly was just so fearful uh, for uh, her family's life and uh, knew that these individuals, these, these folks were going to target um, her and her family, uh, many of which have already been targeted mm-hmm. that may have stood with us uh, and put their country uh, first before this, this again, um, racist man in, in the Oval Office. So I think, you know, I, I wish I could give you an answer, Stephen. Uh, but what I can tell you is we have a, a, a set of problems in our country uh, that never had dealt with, been dealt with. Right. And now we're paying the price. So I, I'm really curious about, you know, every day you've got to go to work and work with, uh, re, you know, Republican lawmakers who in too large a number, have not distanced themselves from this, have not called it out, have not owned their own 
roles in stoking this over the last several decades. How does how does that work? How can Congress function when this kind of division exists? You know, I think many of my colleagues want accountability. I, I what I mean by that is is uh, you know you had an oath, you took an oath of office. Uh, you can't sit there and uh, t- live tweet uh, to um, you know uh, white supremacist uh, terrorists outside the the, the ha- you know outside of the Capitol. Uh, you can't say you uphold the Constitution and then look the other way when you have a lawless president that decides that that he's going to spit on it. Uh, I, I think there there is importance of trying to raise the the level of understanding what people's duty and responsibility is. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things to know is I have been dealing with this before uh, they even showed up, this kind of othering politics, uh, the fact that people ignored uh, districts like mine and, and the very um, uh, use of words. Uh, it was very clear to me they didn't want to have help black and brown communities like mine uh, that have been dealing with COVID uh, in such a profound, impactful way. And so I, I know that We've talked among the Michigan delegation and others that we're going to continue to work extremely hard. We're going to continue to center everything we do on the truth. Uh, And that's all we can continue to do, and hopefully our colleagues will follow. I'm talking with Congresswoman uh, Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from right here in Detroit. She represents Michigan's 13th Congressional District. Uh, She ran uh, for her second term and won in November. Uh, Bernadette Atuane, I want to bring you into the conversation here as well, and I want to talk about what both of you are doing uh, to try to keep Detroiters in their homes, another really critical issue. Uh, Bernadette, talk to us about Black Homes Matter and what that is and what it's calling for. Yeah, so um, I've been on your show before to talk about the um, over-assessments, the property tax uh, assessments in Detroit. Uh, The Michigan Constitution is quite clear. No property can be assessed at more than 50% of its market value. Uh, I did a study that found that between 2009 and 2015, up to 80% of Detroit homes were being assessed in violation of the Michigan State Constitution. Um, What lots of people know is that Detroit got taken over by an emergency manager during the bankruptcy, but what many people don't know is that its assessment division got taken over by the state tax commission because of these rampant illegal assessments. And the the city of Detroit got control back in 2017 uh, when it finished a parcel by parcel reassessment of all properties. Uh, And so the University of Chicago Center for Municipal Finance redid the study to figure out uh, if these over-assessments are still happening. And their conclusion is things got better, but for the lowest valued homes, they over 95% are still being assessed in violation of the Michigan State Constitution. So the whole event is really structured around asking Governor Whitmer to investigate and end uh, these continuing illegally inflated property, property tax assessments. We are asking Governor Whitmer to tell the state tax commission to do their job. Uh, We've uh, approached the state tax commission with the data uh, and they refuse to look at the University of Chicago data that shows it's still uh, occurring. Uh, We've approached Governor Whitmer's team to ask her to force the state tax commission to deal with this new data and they've refused. And so um, 
We're having this event, hashtag Black Combs Matter, because this is actually not just a Detroit problem, these overassessments. It's actually a national problem that has been contributing to the wealth, racial wealth gap since actually post-Reconstruction. Uh, and it's a problem in Chicago. There was an award-winning series called The Tax Divide. It was nominated for, for a Pulitzer, and it showed the very same problem in Chicago. In the south and west sides of the city, uh, those homes were being overassessed. Um, and the Center of Municipal Finance also did a national study showing Alabama and Michigan were the two worst offenders in terms of these, what we call regressivity. Um, and the last thing I, I'll say is there um, was there's a new national study out by two scholars. One is called uh, Dr. Abenacio Leon and Dr. Howard, um, two economists. And they did a national study and they found out that black and brown homeowners pay on average 10 to 13% more in property taxes than whites. Hmm. So this Black Homes Matter is this event with uh, our wonderful Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Dr. Cornell West and Reverend Dr. Dr. Barber is really a movement. Hashtag Black Homes Matter to bring attention to this racialized property tax administration, which is widening the racial wealth gap in our nation. Mm. Uh, you're also calling for something called an assessor's review here in Detroit. What is that and why do you think that will help? Well, we're not we're not calling for an assessor's review. We are we there is something in, in Detroit. I'm sorry, you're calling for an end to the assessor's review. I said it. that exactly. wrong. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. So, um, yeah, so Detroit is the only city in Michigan where homeowners are required to go to something called the assessor's review to appeal their taxes. They need to go to the assessor's review before they go to the March Board of Review. Why is that a problem? Number one, it gives Detroit homeowners less time to protest their taxes, which we are finding are systematically inflated. And number two, there are uh, as an empirical matter, there are very few changes historically that have been made at the assessor's review. So it's a completely unnecessary step that robs Detroit homeowners of precious time to appeal their taxes. Detroit is the only place where they get their assessment right now that they still don't have their assessments. The assessments will be mailed January 25th and the deadline for appealing is February 15th. And so again, Detroit homeowners are systematically being overassessed, but they are the only jurisdiction in the state of Michigan that is required to do this extra step in the appeals process. Yeah. And mind you, it's only homeowners that have to go to the assessor's review. Um, commercial properties can go straight to the state tax um, to the um, uh, to the courts to the to the the tax court. I, I want to talk uh, a little about the the, uh, the suspension of foreclosure auction uh, in in Wayne County and and how that figures into this as well. And I want to talk about some other some other uh, dynamics here too. Uh, but Bernadette, before we get to that, you have been working on this uh, a long time. What is the ultimate solution in your mind to this? problem. Is it really just to to make sure that the assessments are fair or do we need greater property tax reform in the city of Detroit? I mean, you think about the mills we pay, you think about how much damage uh, the property tax does to home values on one end on the top end, 
of of the market and to home ownership at the bottom end of the market. Should we be talking about bigger change? Yeah, I'm actually not against the property tax. I think the property tax is actually an important tax. Um, obviously, you know, um, some people are, some scholars want to get rid of the property tax altogether. I am not one of those scholars. So I'll start by saying that. What I, I do want is for the property tax system to be fair and equitable mm-hmm. and not racialized like it currently is. We have a situation in Wayne, Wayne County where, um, as you know, there are uh, 43 municipalities in Wayne County. Three have a supermajority of black, 33 have a supermajority of white. And all three of the um, uh, supermajority black, that's Detroit, Inkster, and Highland Park, none of those three cities are, are doing a set, are, all three of those cities are illegally inflating their property tax assessments. Of the 33 municipalities that have 70% or more white, that I'm calling a supermajority white, 91% are doing their property taxes correctly. So we not only have property tax inequity, but it's racialized. And that's what I think we, that my position is, that's what needs to be reformed. Again, it's, and this is not just a Detroit problem. It's a Wayne County problem. It's a Michigan problem. It's a national problem. So if we are going to keep the property tax, which I believe is an important tax, it has to be fair. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Professor Bernadette Atuana, and we want to hear from you. What do you think about this plan in Washington to maybe impeach President Trump a second time? Do you think that's the right move after he incited this violent coup attempt last week? What other consequences do you think are appropriate for that, for him for the Republicans who continue to play footsie with uh, these uh, these violent insurrectionists. Also, give us a call and tell us what you think about foreclosures here in Detroit and the way it impacts home ownership, especially for African-Americans. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. I've got Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat from right here in Detroit, represents the 13th Congressional District with us. I also have Bernadette Atuene, who is an author, activist, and professor at the Chicago-Kent College of Law. We're talking about what happened in Washington last week this violent attack on the Capitol and on our democracy. We're also talking about a movement called Black Homes Matter, which is standing up to draw attention to the policies and practices uh, with regard to property taxes that really threatens black home ownership here in the city of Detroit, also threatens uh, black home ownership all over the country. In fact, uh, there is going to be uh, an event uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, January 13th at 6 p.m., a virtual Black Homes Matter event. You can register for that at illegalforeclosures.org. Uh, we also want to hear from you. What do you think about what happened in Washington last week? What do you think about the issue of uh, tax foreclosures here in the city, something that we have been struggling with for a really long time and have not come up with a solution that keeps people in the homes that they own. 
As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to include you. Let's start with uh, Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, welcome to the show. Um, hello. Hey. Um, as I said, as I told the, um, the uh, person who answered the phone, my my issue uh, my issues all along has has been that there has been a lack of plain speaking and telling it like it is in both the uh, in in this whole buildup of the white supremacy and the uh, and the radical right and what their role in undermining the democracy and also for people to you know don't mitigate and don't. Uh, uh, you know, under report or what what happened, this was a coup attempt, mm. and it darn near succeeded, and uh, it put people in danger that I know. And uh, and secondly, um, what I wanted to say was is uh, on the presentation about the about uh, um, taxing and over assessing and stuff like that. I've already learned a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know. <laughs> mm. uh. Well, that's good. It's uh, that's kind of our our job here at the at the show, Daniel. I really appreciate the call uh, and those comments, uh, Rashida. I, I, I'd love to hear your take on uh, Black Homes Matter, this event, and the continuing struggles we have keeping people in their homes. Yeah, I think it's really important. Um, you all heard from Professor Bernadette. Um, you know, we call her Detroit's professor. She's been on the front lines of really telling the truth about folks getting notification after the uh, deadline so people couldn't uh, go back, uh, as the as the mayor and others would suggest, is go, go appeal it. Well, you can't appeal it if you didn't get a notice on time. Um, and continuation of the understanding that, you know, $600 million in overtaxation. We had the worst tax foreclosure crisis in the nation in Wayne County. You can suspend, you can try to change things now, but what do what are you going to do for the many neighbors that I have um, that suffered because of the lack of inaction? And, you know, it's very important, Stephen, to know, like I represent one of the most beautiful blackest cities in the country, in the United States. We have a black housing crisis on our hands. Um, we lost 40% of home ownership in Michigan alone uh, among black folks. And so when I look at this, this is intentional policy choices. And it, it's inadequate response. It's just inadequate responses that uh, from the administration uh, on the local level, on the state level. And then we're asking Governor Whitmer to have the courage to stand with us and say this is inadequate and this deepens uh, the inequality um, that we continue to see in communities like ours. So we don't have time to waste. We need events like this to convene uh, change agents, to energize the action, and to guide uh, folks to understanding there is a solution to this. Uh, but for Detroit to continue to be one of the only city, the only city in Michigan that has to go through this extra step in bureaucracy, uh, why? Uh, why aren't we actually going back and saying, yes, you're right, Here's the proof in the FOIA that I filed, mm. came back and shows, you know, uh, 260,000 uh, homeowners in Detroit got their assessments late, um, even though they also were inaccurate. Uh, they were also late. Uh, there's injustice there, and no one um, 
you know, until Detroit News started reporting it and other places started finally picking up what Bernadette and others have been, you know, trying to shout from the rooftops, something's wrong here, let us show you, please stop it. And the hemorrhaging continued. And now we look back and we see uh, so many of our neighbors that have had their homes, generations Mm. uh, in Detroit were taken away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's go back to the listeners here. John in Detroit, what's on your mind? Hey, John. Hello? Yep, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize it was me. Uh, so I, I, I've been listening to this conversation this morning, and, and I know, you know, we've had for 20, 25 years uh, a public policy uh, in Washington to encourage uh, African-American homeownership after we kind of studied the disparities between black and white accumulated wealth and decided that home ownership was a critical difference. And we've been encouraging home ownership for 25 years by encouraging lenders to lend and so forth. And the three majority African-American communities that were mentioned by your guest, Inkster, Highland Park, and Detroit, are all communities with collapsing demand. And we have African-American homeowners in declining markets who are actually losing wealth Mm after trying to hitch on to the American dream and, and own a home. And, and I, I think the problem is maybe bigger than just tax assessments, but you also have, as a consequence of declining demand and declining home values, you've got communities trying to survive on a collapsing tax base, uh, and they're not motivated to assess things fairly in that environment. Right. And, and I, I think there's just a, there's a bigger problem than just taxes. Yeah. Uh, John, that's a really that's a really good point. I'm glad you called uh, to make it. Bernadette, uh, I think this gets a little to, to something that we were uh, talking about earlier about how this connects with other policies that that uh, that make it difficult uh, for for African-Americans to to build wealth through through real estate. Um, talk about what, what, what John's getting at here. Yeah, the caller made several wonderful, wonderful points. Um, the first thing I'll say is it is so important to understand the property tax foreclosure crisis in Detroit as part of a larger history of racial dispossession. Yes. That starts with racial zoning, racially restrictive covenants, redlining, blockbusting, right? Uh, uh, urban renewal, most recently predatory lending. It is not an isolated incident. It is part, it's the latest chapter in a larger legacy of dispossession of black homes. So the fact that black people's homes in Detroit are worth so much less than white people's homes in the suburb is not an accident. It's the output of this history. So, 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 so that's the first thing uh, that I want to say mm-hmm. from the caller. And, you know, when we have conversations about the racial wealth gap in America, these conversations usually revolve around strategizing for ways for African-Americans to become homeowners, entry into home ownership. The conversation rarely deals with African-Americans who have already acquired homes and are being uh, displaced or dispossessed either through tax foreclosure or other mechanisms, right? Or they're being robbed of value because of, uh, uh, the, um, you know, these historical, their homes are worth less because of these um, 
these histories that I'm speaking of. And so we really do need to change our conversation around the racial wealth divide to center things like this, the Racialized Property Tax Administration. I have a colleague at the University of Virginia, Andrew Carl, he's a historian, who does fantastic work showing that this Racialized Property Administration has been a problem since Reconstruction, mm. post-Reconstruction until today. And I think it's that historical context is important. And the last thing I'll say is that Again, you know, we, we, we have all of these various campaigns, but there has yet to be a campaign around racialized property tax administration. Why? Because it's silent, it's invisible, it's hard to detect. Before the week, I'm a professor, so all I have to offer is data and empirical evidence. And before we came to the table with our data and our empirical evidence, the explanation for the property tax foreclosure crisis in Detroit was, I remember Dave Shemansky told me, well, when people, professor, when people had a choice between buying a home and buying a purse, unfortunately, they decided to buy a purse. Mm. Um, Vicky Kovari told me the problem was people bought homes that they couldn't afford. All of these officials, their explanation for the property tax foreclosure crisis was about a failure of personal responsibility. And I want to tell you that that is a red herring because their explanations about these various types of failures of personal responsibility removes our gaze from what's really happening, which are these structural injustices, these systematically inflated property tax assessments, these structural problems. And instead of talking about the data, talking about these structural problems, they want to talk about failures of personal responsibility. This is a move that's made not just in the area of property tax, but in across the board when you're dealing with poverty and poor people. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the caller made very uh, wonderful points. And, you know, my frustration is I thought, you know, once we did this study, we have several scholars doing studies, we put it before these policymakers, that there would be some kind of reception or change. They are literally ignoring the studies. The, the, the study that the University of Chicago, for crying out loud, this is not Podunk University, <laughs> it's the University of Chicago, did the study showing these property tax, as illegally inflated property tax assessments are still occurring. Mayor Dungan is refusing to look at the study. They're refusing to, to acknowledge that the empirical data says the problem is continuing. And this is a piece that blows my mind as a non-politician. You know, it's just... The, the, the empirical evidence is so clear and they've just decided to ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rashida, I, I want to talk briefly at least about the foreclosure auction being suspended and some of the other things that have happened because of the pandemic and whether that's a foot in the door, I guess, to be able to, to, to deal with some of these problems. I mean, it possibly could stop the hemorrhaging, but I, I want folks to know, you know, regular people, my neighborhood and my community didn't have access to the auction anyways. Right. Um, some right. did work with, yeah, and some work with community-based organizations. You know, it was, it was you know, investment firms that uh, came together under LLC names, you know, based out of New York. Uh, you know, I had a woman who told me, you know, the side lot is owned by somebody in Chicago. She doesn't know who it is. I mean, so it's been a mess for quite a long time. So prior to this pandemic, uh, the, there was a broken system. Because of this pandemic, they may have suspended it. But I, I hope maybe they're using this time to actually review how just unjust it's been and how it, it's just fed into 
you know, the deterioration and disinvestment in communities and neighborhoods. Mm. Uh, I think it's really important for people to understand, don't be relieved just all of a sudden from this. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff gets right revved right back up. Uh, and then the same problems we've seen with the auction in the past, uh, we'll see again. Uh, but I think it's really important as the caller talked, John talked about, uh, you know, all these other issues. So I sit on financial services committee, Stephen, mm-hmm. and what you hear from the big banks, I mean, the CEOs, all of them, uh, they, they, they say, well, I meet the Community Reinvestment Act. I meet the, but if you look at the numbers alone, and Professor, I want her to know I actually do, uh, when you look at the numbers, uh, even, you know, black home ownership, we've lost, you know, again, 40% in Michigan. Uh, but if you look at the numbers of black home ownership in our country, it is pre-Fair Housing uh, uh, Act uh, passage. That's, that's how low, that's how just how low it dropped mm. uh, in the last recession. And no one is saying, oh, kind of wake up, what's going on here? The other biggest problem with these big, large banks and uh, is that they won't do small mortgage lending. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, we have uh, those that, per, you know, act like a mortgage company, uh, smell like a mortgage company, Quicken Loans, but they're not uh, regulated the same way as, uh, you know, Chase Bank mm-hmm. or Bank of America. So there's all these systematic like problems. And if I introduced legislation and, and looked at, you know, supported my colleagues, some of them reforms on this. But there are these systems in place that these corporations have been able to work around and then also get the support of our county and state and local government to be okay with it. Uh, and, and it's really feeding into just such an unjust because, like you said, Stephen, if you look at the history of increasing, um, uh, you know, economic stability for communities of color, it, it, it is through home ownership. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, the event is Black Homes Matter. You can register for it at illegalforeclosures.org. It's tomorrow, Wednesday, January 13th at 6 p.m. Uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib and Professor Bernadette Atuayene, it's really great to have both of you here to talk about it. Thank you very much for joining. Thank you. And I just want to say a big thank you to Congresswoman Tlaib, who it's a couple, Congresswoman Tlaib, Mary Sheffield, Raquel Castanella-Lopez. There have been policymakers and politicians fighting right alongside community from the beginning. So I want to uh, give a shout out to them and also, like you, Steve, encourage people to attend the event. Go to illegalforeclosures.org. We already have about 2,000 people registered. Wow. It's going to be an amazing event. Please don't miss out. Uh, and thank you so much for allowing us to come yes, on the show to, to talk about the no, event. It was great to have you guys. Okay, we're going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Washington Post national reporter Tim Craig about how the incoming Biden administration plans to tackle some of these issues that we are talking about. Inequality, systemic racism, criminal justice. What will look different when Joe Biden is president? Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Thank you.